0: Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Jude chapter, I keep saying chapter, Jude 5. uh, Jude 5 through 10 this morning. Uh, If you're uh, visiting with us or haven't been here in a while, welcome. So glad you're here. Uh, You have uh, caught us kind of towards the beginning of a series we're doing through the book of Jude. And um, so Jude is a a book of the Bible that's really all about false teachers. Jude, as you see in the first few verses that Jude intended, he kind of started out wanting to write a certain letter. Uh, Primarily he wanted to talk about this common salvation that we have. Uh, he wanted to talk about all the good things that we have in Jesus. And yet, something had happened, and by the Spirit, he pivoted to say, No, there's something else that's more important. There's something else more important than us feeling really great about our salvation. Um, we got to talk about false teachers. So, Harry Roundtree is a chaplain in Chicago's Cook County Jail. Uh, and Harry calls Jude his uh, jailhouse book he said that anytime new inmates arrive he always gives them the book of Jude to, uh, to help get them straight on all the different types of teachers that are going to come into that prison and try to preach to them way anyway, uh, Jude is the churchhouse book uh, because prisons aren't the only places that have wacky teachings right uh, no false teachers are alive and well in churches in our families, in our friend groups, uh, and uh, even on the intra, intraweb, uh, say it ain't so, right? Um, but they're not what we th- we think. we've already seen this. We saw this like two weeks ago, right? They're not what we think. Jude says, "Look, these false teachers don't have horns and they don't hiss at you." No, it, it's way more subtle that they come in and they, they join the church. It's just like Briley, they stand before the church and they say, "Hey, I love Jesus." Um, they take communion. And yet what they teach, or how they live, how they raise their kids, how they view life, says that they believe something else. And so this morning, Jude, the the church house book, uh, continues uh, explaining who and what we're called to contend with. Uh, And so with all that said, let's, let's hear God's word to us, Jude 5 through 10. Now I want to remind you that although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling place, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. It's God's Word. Let's pray. Father, uh, may you come through your Spirit and may this time not be just a a talk, uh, some guy giving a talk. uh, But Lord, may we all, uh, may you, you meet us where we are, through your Word. Holy Spirit, come into each and every one of us. And teach us, illuminate this passage. We need your help. Thank you in Christ. Amen. So, uh, Winston Churchill once said that the longer we look back in the past, th- the longer we can look back, uh, the further you can see forward. Um, it was uh, a-, a way of saying, hey, we study history. We study the past so that we can better, you know, know what's happening in the present and better know what to expect in the future. We can kind of make sense of, of the world. And, and, and by the way, just a quick aside, but uh, every time we run into an apologetic or a place that we can lean into and see God's fingerprints in our, our world, I think we kind of need to stop, right, and just kind of talk about that just for a second. Do you know the, the reason that we can study history— and the reason that we can you know, see that history applies to our lives in the present, it screams to the reality of a God, right? It, it screams to the reality that, that the universe was intelligently designed, that there was a, it, it, there's an orderly creation, that, that more or less we can kind of know what to expect. And according to scholars, Uh, who study this type of thing prehistoric people saw time as chaotic like they just didn't know what to expect they didn't know the rhythms quite yet but then the ancient world uh, and and the Hebrew people largely due to God's Word rightly saw time and life as cyclical Uh, that just as Ecclesiastes and Psalms says that there are rhythms to life right there's rhythms to human nature that, that just kind of happened over and over and over again. There are these kind of ancient archetypes that we keep seeing uh, in history. Um, so ancient people knew that things had a way of repeating. And so at, that was the, the predominant view until kind of more modern, or you could say more secular times, when people, possibly influenced by the philosophy of evolution, started seeing time as more linear like, like we're, we're going somewhere you know we're we're industrial revolution we're progressing into the future um, and, and we're all unique and no, no other people who have come before us are as good or as equipped as we are uh, we're, we're going places we're, we're doing something but the problem is is no matter how much modern man thinks we're different no matter how much progress we think we're making people now are once again acknowledging that no matter how hard we try time and history is cyclical that I mean it's just a fact and of course the best explanation for that is well well God created it and God set up parameters and there's just certain ways that things happen within those parameters and what he's done we can't undo okay. so tapping into this reality of how history works Jude makes an argument from history that it applies to us today he says well last week remember verse 4 um, he said that certain people have crept in into the church who long ago were were designated for destruction or, or condemnation and of course we read that and, and we know that God is sovereign that that he knew his people before the foundation of the world and so there are certain specific people God has in mind. When false teachers come in, it doesn't surprise God. He knows them. But here, Jude is also saying, he's using this like ancient archetype language. He's saying that there are certain types of people. There are certain characteristics of people that you see as false teachers who long ago, we saw them long ago, uh, and long ago they were condemned. So Jude says, he, he reaches back to Jewish history. He says, There were false teachers who were called ungodly, and things did not end well for them. And then he brings that into the present in Jude 8, and he says, well, in the same way, we we still have these ungodly people, just like we did back then um, in our churches today. And so to better help them and us understand what to be aware of, uh, Jude, of course, this is a Jewish epistle, so he's writing Jewish churches. And so he reached back into history into three events that all Jews knew about and so kind of like you know we in in school we we learn you know we memorize the midnight ride of Paul Revere right we study American history so we can better learn our history the same way the Hebrew people grew up memorizing the Pentateuch they grew up learning their history and so this is something that they all would have known and in doing so Jude reminded them and is reminding us uh, of three things and here here are three kind of quick points First, um, the poison of unbelief. Oh, oh, it's so poisonous. The poison of unbelief. Uh, Jude takes them back to the Exodus, and and I love the detail he adds in here. He says that even back then in the Exodus, it was Jesus. It was Jesus who delivered them, who saved them. As we said this morning, the eternally begotten Son of God, that Jesus was back there saving them. Uh, But Jude then reminds them uh, uh, that the single defining moment of their nation the exodus also turned out to be one of the most tragic moments of their nation and he's alluding to what happened in numbers as we uh, read this morning you know when god delivered israel a- out of egypt and they they crossed the red sea they got to the other side i mean they were celebrating and they were praising god and they were dancing and it, was, it was it was amazing and which we understand because it's easy to praise God when you've experienced something amazing, right? I mean, God delivers you from cancer. God you know, saves a family member. God does something amazing, and we, we praise God. Right? Um, but what happens when things aren't so good in your life? Um, well, they went from the party at the Red Sea, uh, then into the wilderness. And, and as you all know, like the wilderness has a way of revealing your true heart doesn't it? And, and though God provided their daily bread in the wilderness, just like he does ours, but, but, but in their case it was like literally manna, they were never quite content. You know, They grumbled and they complained about their lack of meat, their lack of water, and they worshiped an idol here and there along the way, uh, so much so that by the time we get to numbers, we're told that Israel had already tested the Lord ten times. And at this point, uh, the grumblers uh, the non-believers in the, quote, congregation um, had poisoned virtually the whole group. And, and so, as we read in our Old Testament reading, you know they're about to enter the promised land. They're, they can literally see the promised land. And so first they send spies in to kind of see what it's like and see you know w- what they need to expect to go in. And, and as you remember, the spies came back, and the vast majority of them, uh, in unbelief, said, there ain't no way. <laughs> Like, we're, we're like grasshoppers compared to those people. They will crush us. Can't do it. And only two, out of all the spies, only two, Joshua and, and Caleb, said, um, no, we, we can do this. Like, like, unbelievers always forget about the Lord. They always forget about the supernatural, like God can do things. And they said, the, the Lord can bring us into this land. The Lord can give it to us. Yeah, we're grasshoppers, but, but we also got God. But the culture of unbelief, the the, the culture of, if you want to say it, humanism, or just non-supernatural, had set into the congregation of God's people so that when God wanted them to move forward in faith, they opted for safety. You know, they circled the wagons, and they got in their little comfort zones. And, and of course, the irony is that by staying in their comfort zone uh, of unbelief, they never reached the place God had for them. I mean, they, they died in the wilderness. And this is so sad. And there have been churches that have been like this. I mean, there have been churches who have had to wait for an entire generation of members to die before the church could actually grow. <laughs> um, what they have to wait for an entire generation of unbelievers to die before they, could, they laid claim to the land. And this is why Hebrews 3 says, Take care. Oh, take care. Lest there be in you any evil, uh, an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from God. Like it's unbelief is so subtle and it's so insidious. Um, like just, just beware. Beware of your heart. And so there's so much application here because as y'all know, as believers, we're called to walk through life by faith, right? that that we walk through life not always knowing what we're getting into but we trust God to be there with us trusting him to be who he says he is he's going to do that's the life of faith and that doesn't mean it's it's going to be easy uh, because as all of you know life is filled with wildernesses and it's filled with pain Um, but but the life of faith is following and trusting God in that in the heart and so it's very easy i don't know why but it's very easy for churches uh, to adopt a culture of safe uh, like let's just play it safe right let's just you know if you if you think about the the parable of the the talents you know let's just let's just bury our talent and let's just sit on it and let's just make sure we don't lose it right um, safe and so so here's the question are, are you walking by faith? Um, are you walking by faith? Um, is there a faith component at all in your life, Which means, uh, are, are you attempting something that will fail if God isn't involved in this? Um, so elders, deacons, like, how are you leading and serving this congregation? Are you doing it fearfully? Are you doing it safely? Are you doing it by faith, uh, parents? How are you parenting? Is there any faith element in your life, um, or are you safe in your comfort zone? Because y'all, unbelief is insidious. Uh, well, because of the fall, we we like I like control. We we all like control, and, and the world will call us wise and. and and careful and maybe even well prepared but but God says that without faith in him like it doesn't matter how much prep you do it, it doesn't matter how much we know we will never rest and so it, it doesn't matter how well manicured your comfort zone is because ultimately you are only as secure as your source of security and Jesus is the, you know, Jesus is the consoler of our soul um, So beware of the slow drip poison of unbelief. Um, You know, maybe what we call being wise and safe is really is really more unbelief. Um, The church is a community of faith. Um, It's crazy. That's that's a false teaching. There, the church is a community of faith. So then, second point, Jude says, beware of those who want to make a name for themselves. There are going to be people who want to make a name for themselves. Uh, And and Jude 6 is it is one of the most difficult verses in the Bible to interpret because scholars are torn over is Jude talking about the uh, original rebellion and fall of Satan from heaven is he talking about uh, fallen angels of of Genesis 6 or is it another account of falling angels that just isn't recorded in Scripture Uh, but regardless uh, the point is that there were angels who were not satisfied with God's plan that it wasn't enough for them to, to serve the Lord. They 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 wanted to rebel, and and so they said, "We can do better." They wanted more prominence. They wanted autonomy. They they wanted to be somebody. And so I, I once heard someone say, "Watch out for people who name ministries after themselves." You know, um, and, and though there, y'all maybe think there may be like some good examples of that out there, maybe. Um, But according to Jude, that seems to be a page right out of the false teacher's handbook. Um, And oh, how this part right here sounds like so many ministers today. Uh, Because I think I've shared this, but it's been said that... um, I say um a lot, don't I? Wow, okay. Um, It's been said that preaching, or like what I'm doing right now, is, is a big draw to narcissistic personalities. Um, and, and you know, I've been in seminary, and I've seen some of these these types. Um, preaching is a big draw to narcissistic personalities because, well, you you have a platform, and you have a captive audience, and and you get to speak on behalf of God. I mean, how important are you, right? And so, you got to be aware of that. Um, beware of ministers and teachers who aren't content to shepherd the flock. But who lust for power and position and prestige? And verse eight continues that idea that by rejecting authority, by not teaching God's word and staying under that authority, at the end of the day, all these teachers have are their personal musings. And like, how many modern-day sermons fall into that category? In, in verse ten, Jude says that without God's word, like, like without that, they are like unreasoning animals in which all they talk about is their own unholy instinct they rely on dreams and feelings and and I'm just waiting on the Lord to tell me what to preach you know and, and look I know I know this may sound very unpastory um, but that burns me up when I hear people say that and like my bro, I have a brother who says that almost every week because he preaches on Sundays and I'm like hey what you gonna preach on this Sunday? He's like well I'm just gonna get there to the church and just see what the Lord lays on my heart and, and that just it, I want to say to him like dude like like, okay, you're not like Isaiah, okay? Like, you're not a prophet waiting on the Lord to tell you what to tell the people, right? No, like, God has already revealed his heart in his word, just teach his word. That's all you have. Just, just expand the gospel, please. Um, that's all. So beware of those who want to make a name for themselves. Uh, beware of those who rely on dreams and visions and like, like they're not about God, they're about them. And then like any good preacher in verse 9, Jude, then he illustrates his application on this point by, by reaching back to some contemporary literature, Jewish literature of his day. He quotes a piece of apocryphal literature. I remember we talked about this is one of the reasons why Jude is so controversial, because Jude uses some stuff that's not Scripture, some apocryphal literature. Well, this is one of those places, it's the Assumption of Moses is what he quotes from and so, if you read this about the archangel Michael fighting over the devil for Moses' body, and you're like, I don't remember that in the Old Testament. Uh, well, it's because it's not there. This is a. a Judah's using extra biblical literature uh, to make a point. And so, it's, it's this it's unlike the fallen angels, and unlike false teachers who want to make a name for themselves, who aren't content to stay, Michael didn't dare presume. The, the angel Michael. Uh, was happy in his rightful appointed place, doing the Lord's will. And so as to paraphrase Samuel Rutherford, he said that God has planted you to grow in this part of the vineyard. Uh, for whatever reason, we don't know, but God has you in Greenwood or in this area, wherever you are, now for a reason. And he says, and here you will stay until God thinks fit to transplant you and take you somewhere else, but but bloom where you're planted but before we, before we close out, get to our last point, uh, one more thing on this. You know, to modern ears, this whole, like, Michael and the devil fighting over Moses' body seems so weird. Um, now, now whether this actually happened and it just wasn't mentioned in the Bible or, well, like, we don't know. Uh, but we have to know that this, this isn't, like, beyond the realm of possibility. Because in the ancient world and throughout history, there have been some crazy things done with people's bodies. Fought over bodies. You know, when Israel left Egypt, you remember that they they made sure to take Joseph's bones with them out of Egypt, and and that would be like us digging up someone who was buried in 1621, digging them up and bringing them with us. I mean, it's kind of weird, right? But this is this is the ancient world, or in in 410 A.D. when Alaric was the the first king of the Visigoths, he died. And to ensure that nobody would come and dig up his body and desecrate his body, um, they uh, had slaves reroute a river. Like they, they dug this whole new channel to reroute a river, the Bucinto River in Italy. And, and then they buried Alaric in the riverbed, somewhere in the river. And then they returned the river to its original flow. So now he's just buried under the river. And to finally ensure no one knew where he was buried, all the slaves who dug the grave were killed. I mean, they took great care to protect bodies. Um, And then there's John Wycliffe, right, who was in the 1300s, he was the first person to translate the Bible into English. And of course, in the 1300s, the the Catholic Church was not a fan (laughs) of this. And and so, get this, um, 31 years after his death, he'd been dead 31 years the catholic church retroactively excommunicated him. <laughs> I mean he's already dead, but they excommunicated him anyway. And, and then 13 years after that, so a full 44 years after his burial, they said as a heretic he wasn't worthy of a christian burial. And so they dug his bones up and they burned them and they threw the ashes into a river. I mean this is I mean this is I mean relatively not that long ago. Well, how much more so with Moses, right? I mean, if people knew where Moses' tomb was, can you imagine the veneration and the idolatry that that would bring? Um, so, look, the, I, I suppose the point is, is um, look, it's possible, but again, the, the point of this angelic tug of war is, is to tell us that the call of a believer is to say, not to us, not to me, but to your name be the glory, Lord. Uh, Accept God's plan in your life. And as Paul told Timothy, that that godliness with contentment is great gain. So contentment is a a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then finally, third, uh, and, and maybe even more personally, Jude says sexual sin will consume you. Sexual sin will consume you. You know, no story impacted the Hebrew people like the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? I mean, that, that story is mentioned over 20 times throughout the Bible. And um, it's, it's, it's a hard story to read. Uh, so just, and I know we got, who, I know my audience, but uh, paraphrase, here's, here's the story. Abraham's nephew Lot received these angelic visitors, and in all it looks like he, just, he doesn't know they're angels. He thinks they're humans, but he just receives them and shows hospitality to them, just like Hebrews tells us that we can be entertaining angels and we just don't even know it. Uh, well, That's what Lot was doing. Um, and so he shows them hospitality, but later that night, men of the city gathered outside Lot's home, and, and they desired to take those visitors for themselves. And Jude summarizes their actions or their kind of their heart. He said that they indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. And that word is, is literally different flesh. So one commentator said, Rampant sexual sin is not the worst sin, but it is the clearest evidence of a society that has rejected God's truth and has been given over to His judgment." And see y'all, sex, I mean, sex is a beautiful, wonderful gift from God. And I mean, it's God's idea, right? But I don't know how else to say this. Um, if you read the Bible and come out with like any other understanding, then God's good plan for sex is for one man, one woman, in the context of covenant marriage, then not only are you having to do like impossible Hebrew and Greek gymnastics to, to like kind of get to another understanding, but you're also buying into and propagating a false understanding of God, a false understanding of yourself, uh, and a false understanding of sin. And, and so look, I, I know it's probably no coincidence here that, that we're in the midst of Pride Month, uh, but to see that much of what we see Is I mean a huge source of false teaching Um, you know when when our identity becomes primarily about sexual orientation or gender or or how we identify we've actually drifted away from the gospel which says in Christ we're so much more than those things that our identity is son our identity is daughter of God and so the Bible is clear that homosexuality is a sin. That adultery is a sin. That lusting after someone who is not your spouse, even in your head, is a sin. Pornography use is a sin. Sex before marriage is a sin. Like, it's just not how God designed humanity to flourish. And, and I hope we're seeing that, like, with that list, I bet that's all of us, right? That, that's all of us. And so the thing about, like, a proper doctrine of sin, like, if you understand sin in in churches that really teach a doctrine of sin, like, it doesn't give you the ability to then go out into the world and hate on people. If you have a proper understanding of sin, you're like, no, no, like, I am the sinner. Like, I need grace. And, And so the gospel call, like, isn't to celebrate our sin, and it's not to affirm our sin, nor is it to hatefully bash any sinner. And so, like, how could we, how could we be bigoted, right? How could we ever be called that? Um, because the fall has done a number on all of us. Like, like, we are all, like, the whole lot of us are sexually broken one way or the other. All of us. And so we're all in need of Grace. And yet the gospel says that that we're not stuck in our sin, nor are we defined by our sin. Okay? And so, like the unbelievers in Exodus, Jesus died. And like these fallen angels, Jesus took the judgment. And, And like these people of Sodom and Gomorrah, Jesus took the fiery wrath of God, like, on our behalf, so that we can go to him and be forgiven. And loved and made new and then that also means um, walking graciously with others uh, it, it means walk it means dealing gently with people who are um, again all of us are sexually broken uh, speaking the truth in love it, it means reaching out to them in grace and kindness and showing the beauty of Jesus over and over again because Here's the reality, and here's the wonder of the gospel, as Gene read this morning, so powerful. He says, or or do, Paul says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God and at that point you're like man I don't feel so good um, like this is all like all of us but then here's where the gospel's so beautiful and Paul says you know in such were some of you and Westminster well, such was I <laughs> um, and i would be willing to bet such were you like you but but I was washed and in Christ, you were washed like we were sanctified. We were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. And that is the good news. And that is our only hope. Amen? Amen. And by the way, I heard someone say that, um, I mean, if you're going to amen that you know, homosexuality and adultery is a sin, if you're going to amen that and yet you don't amen the gospel, that you are saved by grace then you don't get the gospel um, you just don't get it so uh, thank you thank y'all you for getting it um, let's pray father thank you for your word again that like it, it doesn't take us being awake more than like two seconds to realize that we live in a fallen world uh, a world that is filled with broken people and, and we are broken and oh, how we need your grace. So Lord, thank you for Jesus, uh, that on the cross, he took that. He took our pain, took our shame, so that we could be forgiven. Um, so Lord, help us not to, con- to, just not to be confused, just to see unbelief not as just this like progressive mindset, but to but see it really is, it's the poison that holds us back uh, from the life that you have given us. Um, Lord, help us to see just the, the poison of discontentment. Lord, may we just live for your glory, just like that's what life is all about, just glorifying you. And, and then, Father, help us to see um, just sexual immorality for what it really, really is, um, but not to be <laughs> harsh or judgmental, but just to seek grace in our own lives and to seek to dispense grace to others. Uh, Lord, may we see Jesus, and may Jesus transform us. Lord, continue to protect this church. Uh, Lord, protect us from false teachings that creep in. Um, Lord, uh, just show us that sometimes we got to fight. we got to fight off the wolves before we can feed the sheep. So, um, Lord, we ask that you would continue to feed us through your word, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.